I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Al Lukies, CBE, founder and chief executive officer of Pollinate and chair of the FinTech Alliance. We're talking about buy now, pay later and Klarna. Let's start broad and then go into narrower detail. What are your views on the regulatory requirements, because there are no regulations at the moment, of buy now, pay later? The regulators have clearly begun to show real interest in this space. We saw the Woolard report written by Chris Woolard when he was acting CEO of the FCA into buy now, pay later. And as of only a week ago, we're now seeing that the main players in buy now, pay later are being asked to amend and update their terms and conditions to provide better clarity to the consumer, the end user, about what actually buy now, pay later is. That tends to be how our regulators work in the UK. We have a quite a unique situation here in that the FCA has two mandates. One is for prudential authority and for consumer protection, but the other one is also to encourage competition. So you can sort of think of it as if we have the carrot and the stick, both within one regulatory body, which is positive, and it's why we've seen the burgeoning fintech industry do so well in the UK since the global financial crisis. But I think the regulator is not going to stop Robin with some hints on T's and C's. I think they'll go a bit deeper on this space over the coming months and years. Well, we are talking specifically about a lending product, and people don't always realise this. It's not a payments mechanism. It's a lending product. Yeah, and, and it's been bundled, hasn't it, quite cleverly by the providers as being a benefit to the merchant because they're insinuating to the merchant that they're bringing new customers and customers that that merchant wouldn't usually have got access to. And that then takes us into the advertising industry, which would need a whole other podcast. But we see the the walls of digital advertising starting to come down. Facebook have just recalled their revenue number for this year by $10 billion less as we start to see regulation expose the huge fat that there is in the online advertising market. Unacceptable by any human societal standard that you know there are portals and marketplaces taking 28% of the end revenue number just for bringing you some eyeballs that were probably going to shop with you anyway. So that that's all going to be fixed. What I think they've done very cleverly in this industry is they've bundled it to make it pro-merchant. So the merchant encourages it and likes it because they're getting more shoppers. They're getting heavier carts, heavier shopping carts. But you're right. Really what they've done is they've moved the back end credit function as you would have on a credit card. So you borrowed the money, you'll pay it off in a, over a longer period of time to a front end, which is saying, no, 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 what it is, is we're splitting your payment three ways. Don't think of it as credit, just think of it as better budgeting. Is this something, because I don't want it to become wholly negative, is this something that banks can learn from? Are, are there lessons in what the likes of Klarna have done for banks in the way they approach product marketing, the way they approach customers? hundred percent, Rob. I mean, I don't think it's negative at all. You know, humankind throughout history has, you know, continued to progress by disrupting and evolving industries and finding white space that isn't being filled. I mean, if we think 
back to 2007, you know, the peak of banking, certainly from a capitalistic perspective before the global financial crisis. Yeah, you you didn't need to be doing much innovation as a bank when you were making billions and billions of dollars a month on toxic swaps on subprime mortgages. So what we saw after 2008 was the the regulators and the politicians saying enough's enough, right? You're we're not going to let you rule the roost. You're not going to self-regulate. You're not going to self-govern. We're going to introduce 23 new neo banks in the UK alone. We're going to open up the APIs of faster payments and open banking. We're going to encourage consumers to switch their bank account because it's been a zero churn environment. And and yet amongst all of that. We've seen companies like Klarna, companies like Afterpay, Clearpay come along and find another area that the banks were just asleep at the wheel on. They just didn't see it coming. And so I think it's good because it will continue to offer more consumer choice. That's a separate point to the point of how well does it need to be regulated. But you you can't fault the fact that many, many Generation Z consumers have really enjoyed a buy now, pay later experience. Well, there are things that banks can do, of course, and one of the things they can do is realise what they've got because they have existing banks and and indeed some of the neobanks have a lot of information about their clients that they're not leveraging. That's exactly right. And there are many reasons for it. Look, the banking industry, just like any other sort of utility industry, if you think of of power, if you think of gas, if you think of um, mobile networks, has, has gone through this phase of growth over the last 30, 40 years by mergers and acquisitions, having to evolve its technology platform, having to improve customer service, having to deal with new channels of communication. But but that has led to an enormous sort of graveyard of legacy systems that just haven't been updated. And so as much as the logic is there, what you said is exactly right, there's all this data Unfortunately, that data isn't particularly tidy. And so you've got data that was onboarded by me. I got my first bank account in what, the early 90s. That would have been snail mail. That would have been paperwork that's stored somewhere. It's, if anything, coded in C++ or hidden in an Excel spreadsheet. And then now we're talking about always on cloud APIs where you can onboard a consumer in 35 seconds through an intuitive front-end app. And that's stored in a completely different environment. So there's a huge job to do to tidy up that backend data. And, and it takes huge breakthroughs like buy now, pay later. And what's the combined market cap of the top five buy now, pay later companies? It's probably, you know, into the tens of billions, hundreds of billions of, of value that's been left on the table. But that creates a reaction. And so the banks then have projects to tidy up the data to be able to offer the same thing. But that just takes time. And so what banks have relied on historically is the fact that the regulatory drawbridge will protect them because the more, yeah, we saw it with payday loans. We've seen it in lots of different areas where peer-to-peer payments, for example, where the regulator says, right, well, I didn't care about it last year because only 10,000 people were using it. I do care about it this year because a million people are using it. And therefore, the long arm of regulation is going to come in and the banks say, eventually, then people have to come back and be a bank again anyway. So we're, we're sort of okay. I don't think it's the best long-term strategy, but it's certainly the one they've used to date. It's not what you'd call a proactive strategy, that's for certain. 
this customer data we're talking about, it may be untidy, it may be all over the place, but it is ultimately actually going to be what makes a bank successful in future. Because if you want as a bank to try and market something to me, it's going to make more sense if you market to me something that is appropriate for my circumstances. Yeah, it's a really good point. The, the, the challenge is one of, uh, of, of identity, and I don't mean that in a consumer identity perspective. I mean the identity of your bank. How, how do you think about your bank? And is your bank uh, that reluctant thing that you have to worry about on a Sunday afternoon because you need to check whether you've got enough money to get to work the next day, which you know I certainly remember as an entrepreneur on many occasions and being angry at the bank because I couldn't access any more any more borrowing. So we have this this strange love-hate relationship with our bank, which is you're a necessary evil. I want to put my money somewhere where it's more intuitive to get at it, to to get all of the sort of neobank experience that I love. But actually, I also know that the £85,000 government guarantee on my savings is really, really critical. And you're a big bank, and I know that my money is safe with you. So, so there is that inertia, as I said earlier, churn in the banking market, even with uh, the neobanks, is minuscule. It's sub 5%. Whereas in the mobile industry, it's plus 50%. And that, that is because it is hard to move your bank account and there's very little incentive to do it. So I get very frustrated when I hear neobank CEOs stand up and say, we've got 5 million banking customers in the UK, when actually 4.5 million of those just happen to have an extra card and they use it as one of their jam jars of cash, like my grandmother used to have on the mantelpiece, one for holiday, one for shopping, one for the grandkids, you know, whatever it is. That That's not a bank account. That's just another digital financial relationship. So I think your point about proactivity is a really, really good one, because I remember working with the mobile networks in the early 2000s when we were setting up mobile banking. And the level of arrogance, the, le- the level of confidence that no one would come over the top of them, that they own the network, they would be the people that decided what went on your Vodafone phone, even though that phone came from Nokia, who no longer exists. So, so they, ju- they just didn't have this view that suddenly Apple would launch a smartphone that we're all completely addicted to, and Apple would then monetize that through an app store, and they would just become a dumb pipe. And, and in parallel to that, you have the MVNO market, so mobile virtual network operators like Virgin, very clever from Richard Branson. He said, I'm not going to build a mobile network. I'll just lease some of your bandwidth. Thanks very much. So he pays T-Mobile and he launches his own mobile network. Why are we not going to see the same thing in the banking world? And I think we are. Yeah, we're going to end up with MVBOs where big utility banks say, all right, well, I'll just stick to my knitting. I'll be the regulated entity. I want as many deposits on file as I can get, but I'm happy to partner with other brands who can then go and do a much better job of providing great customer service and innovative payment mechanisms and all the rest of it. So this fusion tech that we're seeing in the fourth industrial revolution is about to hit the banking world. On that note, let's return to the subject of Klarna, because Klarna, established as a buy now, pay later company, recently started launching credit cards. Is this part of what we're talking about? Is this part of a shakeup of the ecosystem? Or is it a retrograde step by Klarna? Well, it's it, it's a great question. It's evidence of what you and I have just talked about, which is as much as it seems an easy thing to do, 
to, you know, there is a reason why uh, we have four big clearing banks in the UK and we have had for 250 years. And, you know, decade after decade, people have said the walls are falling down, but yet they're still, you know, pretty, pretty big and valuable companies. So I think Klarna, uh, you know, starting to realise that closing the loop as we call it, so your point on data, having both sides of the equation, both the merchant relationship and the consumer relationship, isn't an easy thing to do. You know, we've got companies like PayPal, who've been around a long time, was the mandated payment mechanism within eBay, and then even PayPal realised that just being digital wasn't going to get you consumers at, at, at a mass market scale, because we like having physical cards in our wallet. We We like you know, making payments in both the physical world, although e-commerce is exciting, it's still sub 20% of all global commerce. So we describe it here at Pollinate as tech and touch. You know, you've got to have both. You've got to have the umbilical cord, which is the cards, and then you've got to have the great user experience, which is the app. And I think Klarna have realized that. And I'm sure part of it is that they want to be seen as part of the incumbency, a grown-up company, not a fintech that's just trying to take money from you for you know borrowing over over a course of three weeks. Al Lucas, CBE founder and chief executive officer of Pollinate and chair of the FinTech Alliance, thank you very much.